taken from the album Flowers of the Nation, the late great Jonas Gwangwa with the beautiful song Batsumi. And of course, that is not the song choice that I have picked, rather as consistent with the theme of Tuesdays here on The Viewpoint. It is my guest's song choice who soon will be your host. And just to get the ball rolling, I'm going to keep you in a little bit of suspense. I'm going to have a conversation with my guest. I'm going to read just ever so briefly her profile with the hope that surely some among you will be able to pick up who this great South African is, despite the fact that she was born in Liverpool in the United Kingdom. Grew up in Cape Town, obtained a BA from UCT, LLB cum laude, smarty pens, from the same university in 1980 and LLM, and then from University of Sydney, first class honours in 81 with a PhD, University of London School of Economics in 1988. Well, her legal career is ultimately where she found her true calling and passion, which of the many things she has done, I think she certainly did announce herself to the world and especially the new South Africa in 1994 when, at just the sprightly age of 37, she was appointed as a judge of the newly formed Constitutional Court. She's a retired judge, but anything but, given the fact that she still toils hard. Her profile, I'll keep touching onto it as the conversation goes on. But for now, dear judge, because I'm not going to give the name out yet, I want those who think they know to whom I'm speaking to call us. Johannesburg, 714-2006. Judge, good evening. Good evening, Sungezo. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very pleased to be able to say that in these difficult days, but I'm well, thank you, and I hope you are too. I certainly am, and I appreciate the fact that you are in the UK attending to your work at Oxford. I mean, that certainly is a sign that things are moving in the right direction as opposed to the last time when we engaged. That day, I would have you recall, 25th of March is the day my house was burgled, and you and I were scheduled to have a session with Albi, among others. I remember that very well, and you were extremely cool in what were pretty trying circumstances keep saying that judge you'll be my favorite let's talk (laughs) about you a young lady from the uk how did you find yourself in south africa growing up in cape town and especially what agitated you to go towards the not so i suppose commercial spaces then certainly of law i mean you specialized in labor law and land rights law issues or matters of law that really could have pitted you against the establishment at the time well, of course, I grew up in Cape Town. My, my parents um, emigrated to South Africa when I was seven. And so I really, you know, I, I uh, went or did all my schooling in South Africa. And, and um, I mean, I think I went to a, a convent school in Cape Town um, during the apartheid era, a whites only school. And I think it was, you know, as I sort of came towards the end of my schooling that I began to realize that this was, uh, you know, very difficult, wrong situation that South Africa was in. And I suppose I originally thought that I would want to become a journalist. And so I went to do a, a summer back job at um, at the Cape Argus. And I was advised, no, it would be much better to be a lawyer because journalists were spending a lot of time in court at the time. This was mm-hmm. like the 1970s, 1976, actually. And so I what thought, well, time. right. Yes, exactly. Dramatic times. Um, and so I went and did a law degree. And during my law degree, I did a lot of work in Legal aid, legal aid work, providing uh, free legal services um, to people across the Cape Flats and, you know, realize that although law is not a solution to all the world's problems, it it can be, it can be a contribution to make the world a better place. And so, you know, somewhat uh, ambitiously, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, it seemed like a good career for me. Well, when you talk about ambition, I'm just going to jump a bit because I really don't want to eat into your time with the time you will have with your guest. Can we talk to a time where many South Africans certainly would want to engage? Because I think the conversation ever more is becoming ripe for these conversations, even at an institutional level, where perhaps even the documents that are consistent with this period really should be more and more public information. There's a growing discontent with the negotiations and the constitutional settlement, if I can call it that, or the democratic settlement of 1994. You are young mid-30s, early 30s, and you are thrust, like very few at the time, into the limelight of one, a constitutional court that at the time hadn't existed. You hadn't previously been a judge, and I know there were tensions there with the SCA, those who thought of themselves as judges, judges, 
and of course this happens and you are one of the youngest members of the court put us in a time capsule back to that period and what are you thinking at the time what are your aspirations even fears well it, it, you know immediately learning that i was had been appointed was i, I was quite sort of devastated at all. What have I done? This is, you know, this is too big a job. This is, this is, I can't do this. I, I, this has been a terrible mistake. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, really quite a frightening prospect. Um, but, you know, I sort of gathered myself together and couldn't undo it and um, arrived at the court. And I think like a lot of people, when they start working in a field in which they, you know, they're committed to working, you you quickly get on with the job and stop perhaps thinking about why am I here? Do I really fit in? Am I appropriate? And the the task carries you away. I suppose it's not unlike in some ways thinking about it like playing a game of sport. You just, you, you're on the field, you, you, you there isn't any time now for thinking about whether you ought to be on the field. You've just got to do it. Do it. And I think by the end of my first term at the court, which was uh, February and March 1995, I had got over my initial fears and and found it an enormously stimulating and rewarding and challenging thing to do, but with a wonderful group of colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was a, it was a great privilege. We're going to talk about the end of the first term, which was largely all about the administration and setting up the institution itself. But you mentioned something which I would imagine is close to many South Africans' hearts, especially those who are legally inclined. Your colleagues, I mean, that was the creme de la creme. I'm not saying anything about the creme de la creme's successes. I'm just talking about them. They came, I believe, at as good a time for our country in establishing the society, the constitutional principles certainly wanted, in guiding the constitution as it would be formalized in 96, 97, and hearing those cases which would now flesh the bones of what was to be the society. Take us back to Feb 14, 1995, and to Feb 15, 1995. The conversation mm-hmm. the then president has with you guys, let me say that out of respect. And then, of course, the work. It all came down ultimately to 15 Feb 1995. That's right. And of course, those two days, the first day was the day in which the court was inaugurated when all of us swore our oaths or affirmations of office uh, before the president, the deputy president, Tabo Mbeki, um, the speaker. Uh, it was a you know, very august occasion. Um, uh, yes. And it was it was noticeable that on that day, or we, we, we were very conscious that the very next day we were going to hear our very first case which of course was the case about the constitutionality of the death penalty in South Africa. And there was President Mandela, who himself had stood in a court, not certain whether he would have the death pen- uh, penalty imposed upon him some 30 years uh, or before. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a very poignant moment in a sense. Um, we were all very conscious of that history. Uh, and there we were in a rather uh, inauspicious building because once the court was established, there was no formal building for the court. Yeah, in Park and Town, so we, huh? Yes, uh, sort of on the border of Parktown and Bramfontein, um, a, a, a relatively modern office block on the second and third floors. There'd been a space created for a courtroom and for our offices, which we were to occupy for the next uh, almost 10 years. Um, and so it wasn't, uh, wasn't you know, great grand building in any way at all. But nevertheless, it was, uh, it was a, an awe-inspiring occasion. So on the on the fourteenth um, of February, we had the inauguration. All wore our gowns for the first time. All took mm-hmm. the oaths, affirmations, and then on the the next day, um, we gathered again for the hearing, which was in fact the, the hearing lasted several days the first day of the hearing being on the 15th. Mm-hmm. And there were a, there was a, a, a very large phalanx of lawyers gathered to argue the case. Unusually, uh, there were two sets of lawyers arguing on behalf of the state, one for uh, effectively the director of public prosecutions, mm-hmm. uh, uh, attorney general in those days, and and the other on behalf of the minister. So That was George, addition, wasn't it? Bezos. Um, George Bezos. Uh, well... There was um, 
George Bezos and also Wim Trengove. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember now which of them acted for which, but there, yes. there were the two of them. And um, Dolly Vera acted on behalf of the prosecutors. And then there were a range of people who um, applied to be amici. Yes, you're right. George acted for um, quite right, going back to that. Yes, exactly. And Wim Trengove acted on behalf of the of the applicants, who were two men who were who had been convicted of murder. They had um, they had been involved in a robbery at a shopping centre in southern Johannesburg. Not something many of us are sympathetic to the idea of with guns. And so they were two they were the two um, applicants who'd been convicted of of murder and sentenced to death. Um, and in addition, then to the people represented to Vimtrengov and uh, uh, council representing the applicants um, and, and the council representing governments, there were also um, a string of lawyers representing various um, uh, amicus. So that's the Latin word for friends of the court, people who want to intervene in a case because they've got a perspective on the issues and they want to argue before the court as to on, on the issues that are going to be heard by the court. So it was a long hearing over several days courtroom packed with all sorts of people many mm-hmm. journalists international even yes absolutely now so however a- it would have turned out that judgment it was always going to be seminal it effectively would set the pace for what we now know of our constitutional jurisprudence 22 years in sorry i mean 27 years in can we talk about the personalities and how Providence prevailed in their timing at that time for what South Africa needed. Madiba, the father, if you like, who's credited, or rather who is the face of our democratic nation. And his relevance in that speech, the last time I appeared in court, it was to hear whether or not it was to hear whether or not I was going to be sentenced to death. Fortunately, sanity prevailed. Upon you is thrust the greater responsibility where you are demanded to effect your duties without fear, favor, or bias, as you would know. Chaskalson is there, the president. Mohammed, yes. Ishmael Mohammed, John Didcot, your, yourself, um, Mukoro, Tolima Dala, Pius Langa, Johan Krichler, who's still among us, Laurie Ackerman, Richard Goldstone. That. Al- I'll be yeah. sex, of course. I mean, I forget him because he's just so familiar with this platform. Those men and women at that time, could they have come at a better time? Well, I mean, there, there were amongst them some of South Africa's most distinguished lawyers. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, uh, Sidney Kentridge, in fact, was also there, if you remember, because Richard Goldstone was away in The Hague uh, as a prosecutor for the International Criminal Tribunal for Yugoslavia. Um, so it was, a, you know, a really distinguished gathering of South Africans' great lawyers, many of whom had been uh, pioneers uh, in the um, using law to resist apartheid. Uh, Arthur, of course, had himself been one of the counsel who represented Madiba in the 1960s, uh, and 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 you know, many of my colleagues had had this had an extraordinary history. So. I, I do, you know, I do think that it was, um, it was a, it was a gathering of really extraordinary uh, lawyers, and not only on the bench, as I say, but also before the bench. Yes, um, yes. It, it was ex- an extraordinary day. We're taking calls. I have deliberately not mentioned the name of my guest. Surely after this conversation, you know who I am talking to. You know this august voice you hear, even if you don't know it by name. Best believe. She has shaped your experience in democratic South Africa for sure, and many would argue that otherwise, but she certainly did have an impact pre-1994 with her sterling work in the fight towards human rights and related justice. We're going to calls. Please tell me who I'm speaking to, and of course you can contribute as you wish. Let's go to Pretoria East, Lucky, as well as KGM after that in Mafigeng. Lucky, good evening. Welcome. Uh, That's Judge Kate Oregon. Uh, but, but more than that, I've got a question for her. Indeed. Having been a legal aid lawyer, what is the concept of uh, access to justice? Because in most cases, the poor have to deal with prohibitive cost orders, and if they, for some reason, they, they, they jump the hurdle, they have to deal with uh, uh, the, 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 the rules of the court. Where if somebody has to file court papers in his personal capacity, Papers tend to be returned 
over and over again because uh, certain rules of the court, uniform rules, which I understand are meant to uh, uh, keep house order, are very difficult to to, 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 to comply with for somebody who is not in the legal profession. Thank you. Very good question. Much appreciated, Lucky. KGM in Mafikeng, good evening. Good evening, Songhez. Uh, good evening to uh, Judge and, and to, my, to my fellow listeners. Songhez, uh, so I've, got, I've got two contributions uh, to make. One is a question that says, uh, coming from my own thinking, I'm not a reader, but a constitution is a document that all of us at least should read to understand because it, it's can I borrow from the religion? It's our Bible. Now, having gone through it and looking at the, the society we've become, I cannot miss the fact that it is one of the most unfair documents that has been produced uh, in view of looking at where South Africa came from and where we are now. I don't want to repeat the issue of the cost as an example, for instance. Uh, but second to that is how the Constitution ignored or the, the writers, the people who penned it, not necessarily Cyril and, and Ruth, but, but the collective that penned it, how did they justify that with the so-called negotiated settlement, let's remember that we had to negotiate even though we were the victims. How did it get to be justified that we still had to be subjected to some laws? If you remember, there are laws that are still to be repudiated coming from the old era, post-94. How was that justification arrived at. Certainly. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Songhez Omabekta here on the line. It is now certain and confirmed Justice Kate O'Regan, former Justice of the Constitutional Court, now the Director of the Bonaira Institute of Human Rights in the United Kingdom. She is our guest this evening, and I have her to respond before she well and truly takes over. Judge? Yes, well, those are two good questions. So starting with with Lucky's question about legal aid and access to justice, I completely agree with Lucky that in order to have a a, a fair legal system, people need to have access to courts. And one of the challenges that we face in South Africa is that although we have created a system of public defenders for criminal Uh, in the field of criminal law, so where people are prosecuted, the state provides public defenders to defend them. We do not have a good system of legal aid in relation to justice, civil justice. So if you have got a claim against the state or somebody else, you can't easily get a lawyer if you do not have enough money. So, and that is, I, I think we underestimate how significant a failure that is. On the other hand, it's a very costly thing to provide. So what the solution is, is is it's difficult to be certain, but it certainly undermines the principles of the rule of law and fairness in our system. On the questions of costs, we do have a general rule in South African law, which is that if you lose your case in a civil case, now not when you're charged with a criminal offence, but when you go to court, for example, to claim uh, in a, um, when there's been a, an injury against you, if you lose your case, you have to pay not only your costs, but the costs of the other side as well. And the principle underlying that is that somebody who is eventually not found to have uh, owed anything to somebody shouldn't also have to pay the costs of defending themselves. This rule has been relaxed by the Constitutional Court in constitutional matters so that people who bring constitutional cases against the government, even if they're unsuccessful, as long as their cases are not frivolous but are serious, they will not have to pay costs. I think that's an important, it's an important relaxation of the rules. Mm-hmm. And I can, I, so I think that it's an important point that Lucky points to, but I think we've made some um, headway on that under our constitution. Turning to KGM's question, well, I agree with him that everybody should read the Constitution. And my own sense is that our Constitution is not an unfair document at all. I'd be very happy to talk to him about specific provisions in it. But I think that this, in fact, is a very fair document. 
What is very true, however, is that this document is not self-executing. You don't enact the constitution and then suddenly everything the constitution says is there. Our constitution talks about improving the quality of life of all citizens, of having um, freeing the potential of poor people. Um, and of course, we will only get the vision our constitution talks about if we actually work for it. And that's not only government who has to work for it, but all South Africans. So I don't agree with KGM that this is an unfair document. I think it's a very fair document. And as somebody who you know, follows constitutionalism, both on the continent of Africa uh, and in other parts of the world, it is widely regarded as a model constitution. So I'm happy to debate with KGM any specific provision, but for the moment, I don't think that on balance, this is an unfair constitution. I'll tell you what KGM has said time and again on this platform is that this constitution, given what we see as the national edifice, doesn't accord to it being this widely acclaimed document if where it really is a case of the rubber hitting the tar, assessing the constitutional framework dispensation against the lived reality of the majority of South Africans, there certainly is a discord. I'm saying that because he has held this view for quite some time. He has previously quizzed Justice Sachs on that, even using more um, intent language, so to speak. So best believe if ever there's an opportunity for you to be here, you will get KGM. Here's what I propose, though, Judge. I don't want to take a lot of your time because it is essentially your show. Well, Shall think, we take... Shall I say, yeah, sure. Shall I say one minute on that yes. to KGM? And that is that when there is a problem, and I fundamentally agree with KGM that there is a problem in South Africa, the lives of ordinary South Africans are not have not been transformed in the way the Constitution would want but like when you have any other any problem in your house, you start out by deciding what's causing the problem. You go and you have a good look. So the water's dripping. Where's the water dripping from? I don't immediately say it's coming from the roof or it's coming from the geyser. I go and look. And when you go and look here and you find out where the problem is coming from, I would suggest to you, KGM, it's not the Constitution. Well, is it in Bromfontein? Is it in Pretoria? Is it in Cape Town or a combination of? Or is it in South African homes? 30 seconds. Uh, where the problem is coming from? Yeah. Well, I think... A combination have, of all. Yes, I think it's a combination of many things. But I think the first thing we have to realise is that undoing a legacy of colonialism and apartheid is a very hard thing to do. You only have to look at the United States which 150 years ago abolished slavery, and to look at the descendants of people who were slaves in the United States mm -hmm. to realize how difficult it is to do an, a, um, a legacy of that sort. But I think that government shares responsibility with this. I think all South Africans do. We need to work to work to, to fix this. I think there will be very few times where you'll find sure. that the constitution is making it more difficult for us to fix. Yeah, this conversation is getting deep and I'm thoroughly enjoying it, but I have to I have to restrain myself. This is the Cato Regan show. So after the very short ad break, Justice Cato Regan, former judge of the Constitutional Court, is live here on SAFM and heard the world over, not least in the UK, the community of, of Oxford and certainly in many South African homes, as is tradition at this time for you. SAFM, the viewpoint. After the break, judge, it's yours. You are listening to Songhez Omabete on SAFM. Go, Judge. Judge O'Regan is a little nervous to start her show. Judge, it's all yours. I don't know um, if... The... Yes, yes, we can hear you now, Judge. Hear me now. Good, thank you. Thanks, Angeza. It's a great pleasure to be on your show and to be on Tuesday Takeover. My name is Kate Regan, as Songeza has told you, and I'm a former judge of the Constitutional Court. And we're talking today about the Constitution in its 25th year since 97, the 96th Constitution came into force in 97. And I could think of no better guest to join me to talk about the Constitution, to talk about what it means to be a lawyer in South Africa's constitutional democracy, and to explore what the Constitution can mean for ordinary South Africans, then Seho Pala, who is uh, the Executive Director of the Equal Education Law Centre in Kailiche, Cape Town. Seho, can you hear me? Seho, can you hear me? 
Okay, while Tsekho is trying to make it through, and I understand that Kanya will be taking this thing through at a technical level, Judge, perhaps do you want to preface the nature of the conversation you're about to have with him? Uh, her, yes, of course I will. Sorry, 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 so, sorry. Yes, her. I beg your pardon, Tsekho. I beg your pardon. Yes. So I will, I will tell right. everybody about it. Ah, hi, Tsekho, are you there? No? So Tsekho is the director of the Equal Education Law Centre, which is based in Kailicha. Equal Education Law Center has a very close relationship, as Teho will tell us, I hope, in a moment, with Equal Education, which is a, um, a learner-based uh, organization, grassroots learner-based organization, working for a fair and decent education for all South Africans. And the Law Center, which is not part of Equal Education, but is a separate um, body does a lot of work for equal education, but a lot of work in other areas of education as well. And I think one of the things we would all feel is important in South Africa is education. Mm. And we realize that this is an important area for people to be working in. So I'm hoping that Seho has joined us now. Not, not yet. We seem to be having difficulties there, Songezo. Okay. Tsecho, you are on air. If you could speak, I don't know, because we keep hearing a mumble or two from your end. Evening, Songezo. I can hear you loud and clear now. Thank you. Judge, she's all yours. Thanks so much, Songezo. And welcome, Tseko. It's great to have you uh, on the program. So I thought I might start out by if you could tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and when you decided to be a lawyer. This is not working. This is not working, and I don't know why. So, Judge, let's talk about Section 29. I think you, among many, have presided over the work of the Constitution and some of these fundamental human rights, socioeconomic rights, especially against, right as it is, the state's limited resources and the backlog that the democratic government inherited. You talked about apartheid and colonialism before. Do we have a grasp, certainly from the legal instruments available to us, of the magnitude of the work still that has to be done? Or reflect back the work that had to be done in the early stages of Section 29? Yes. So you refer to Section 29, which is the right or the provision in the Constitution which provides everyone with the right to a basic education, including adult basic education, and also to further education. Perhaps I should just preface this by saying the South African constitution is unusual in the fact that it contains within it not only rights to freedom of speech, to freedom of assembly, and to vote, which are civil and political rights, but also to rights which are economic and social and cultural in nature. And the right to education is one of those. And of course, that was one of the ways in which when the constitution was being negotiated, it was recognized that for ordinary South Africans, it would not mean a lot if all they got in 1994 was a right to freedom of speech and a right to vote, but they didn't have as well rights of access to housing, rights of access to social security, to health care, and to education. Even. So the constitution entrenches those. Certain. Now education. Yeah, now education. Education is, of course, one of the most important of these rights. And yet we all know that although there have been uh, uh, gains made in relation to education in South Africa, the, there are real problems still, both in relation to the quality of the uh, built environment, of the quality of schools and facilities. Mm-hmm. There's deep inequality across our nation with what kind of school South African children go to and also in terms of the quality of education that people get when they are in those schools. Mm. And um, and and uh, that really means that it's exactly what KGM was saying. The reality in South Africa, 25 years after our 96 constitution came into force, is that there's still deep educational inequality. Well, Tsekho, I hope you're here. Tsekho. Yeah, you're live on air with Judge Tseho. Thank you so much. Evening, Songego and Judge. Um, I couldn't hear Judge just now, but hopefully I'll be able to see, hear her now. Great. So can you hear me, Tseho? 
No, sorry, Songeva. I think the line is still not working. Okay, I the line is not working I, yeah. between Judge and Tsejo. Let's have the conversation. I'll just keep pretending I'm a court interpreter to the two of you. Go for it, Judge. I think that's a brilliant idea. I, I think that's a brilliant <laughs> idea. I'd really like Tsejo to talk a little bit about her um, her sort of background, um, where she grew up, where she went to school, and when she decided she would be a lawyer. So the question is your background and especially when you decided to be a lawyer. So take us through from home and the background that agitated you towards the legal career that you now have. Thanks, Angeza. So And thanks, Judge. Um, so I suppose I was a young girl, a young black girl with albinism who grew up in the streets of Atridgeville in Pretoria. And from a very young age, because of my, my albinism, I was very aware of, of discrimination in our country. I was very aware of difference and otherness and, and just depression. And from a very young age, I, I had this dream, I suppose, of, of, of saving the world or of making things better and making sure that no one else would go through through what I went through. Um, and so I knew from then that I wanted to do something that was going to bring change in the world. And I, I, I saw the law and I thought that the law was like a wonderful tool that I could use. And I suppose being a young child, I thought it would be a weapon and I would be able to swing it at anything and everything would be okay. Obviously, one learns that it's a bit different as, as you grow older. Um, I then did my degree at, at the University and I practiced as, as an attorney doing public interest litigation for about 10 years. Um, after which I then joined where I am now, which is called the Equal Education Law Centre. Judge, you got all of that? I did indeed. I'm hearing Tsejo. This is a good example of inequality in the world, isn't it? Mm. I can hear Tsejo, but you can't hear me. But <laughs> We're trying to sort that out. <laughs> that's no problem, no problem. Um, so I think the next thing would be very interesting to ask Tsejo is why she thinks it's important to be working in the area of equal education. Why do you think it's important to be operating in the area of equal education, Seho? Um, I think because the, we have to look at South Africa and the context of, of education in South Africa. And an education in South Africa is currently characterized by a system which is divided in two, so the haves and the have-nots, um, a system which is very much informed by our legacy of, of apartheid. And so there's still a lot to be done. There's a lot to be done in our country. You were speaking, Songhezo, about Section 29 of our Constitution, which obviously guarantees the right to basic education and, and has this promise um, to society and to the country of a right which is immediately real. And then when we look at many areas in South Africa, particularly rural areas in previously or still disadvantaged areas, the reality is one doesn't see this immediately realizable. One sees a state which is characterized by lack of infrastructure, lack of, of textbooks, and, and poor quality outcomes in, in many of these schools. And so the work which we do at the Equal Education Law Center is very important, particularly also knowing South Africa, knowing our, our high unemployment rate and knowing that the right to education has been set to be an enabling right and, and sort of a key that opens up so much more for a society. And so education is very crucial and looking at education is so important. Thanks, Seho. So I think this would be a good opportunity to open the lines for our listeners who might like to come in and ask questions about the work of Equal Education Law Centre or about your views on the Constitution, given that this is the focus for this evening. So listeners, please um, call in with any questions you might like to put to Seho about her work. Um, and I know that we're going to be able to run a little bit over um, after the 20, uh, after the nine o'clock news. So um, please do call. Um, in the meantime, it would be um, great, uh, Songeza, if you wouldn't mind asking Seho, if you could maybe pick one case that that she has been involved in that she really cares about and that she'd like to tell the listeners about. Let's get into the law. Um, the question is, pick one case that you really got deeply involved with or that for some reason or the other has abided with you in line with your work at Equal Education. I think when I thank you, Sandezo and, and Judge, 
Um, I think COVID-19 and, and the effects of COVID-19 and how it's amplified inequality um, in the country and in the world is something that stands out for me. And as equal education, when, when we went on a hard lockdown um, over 18 months ago, when the country was closed, one of the impacts was that schools had to close. And, and as the equal education, we then brought a case around the National School Nutrition Program. Mm, and the mm. National School Nutrition Program is really a case that ensures that over 9 million learners in the country receive a daily nutritious meal. And for many learners, this is the only meal that they get. And given what we know about COVID, the impact it had on, on earnings for many families, we quickly learned as, as, as the month, you know, in the first few months, that a lot of learners were going hungry, were being expected to learn at home, um, and yet didn't have a meal. And so we, we took government to court after much advocacy and much engagement, because of course we believe that one doesn't just use the court, but uses lots of other tools to get change in, in our country. And we went to court, and, and for me that was a case that stood out, because it, it recognized the right to nutrition as, as part and parcel of the right to basic education. And of course it ensured that 9 million learners got a meal. But what's really important about our work is that while Section 29 gives us this guarantee, this is immediate realizable, is that our work assists through the courts in giving content to that right, to saying what does that right mean? What does that mean I'm entitled to? And so for me that's one of the most recent cases around education. After a string of cases which have recognized the content of the right, things like textbooks, things like infrastructure, things like transport. And so for me, that case showed how civil society and the law in a time of crisis um, could respond and, and come to and come to the you know, protection of the most vulnerable in our society. So just to remind our listeners that the number that you need to call is 011-714-2006. And you can also send us any thoughts you have on WhatsApp to 61 4104107. We're happy to get them in text or voice. I'm just going to run that number again. 0614104107. And the number to call in uh, to speak to Seho is 011-714-2006. So one of the things, um, Seho, that is a debate here, and we, when I was uh, speaking with Songhezo earlier, we were discussing with KGM, one of the listeners, about whether the constitution is part of the real problem in South Africa. Now, in relation to the field of education, which is where you're really an expert, what are your thoughts about that? Is the constitution helpful here or not? Is the constitution helpful in the realm of education or not this is predicated against a question that was posed to us or rather a point made by one of our listeners kgm saying that the constitution is not delivering irrespective of the fact that it enjoys this international respect and acclaim I think the starting point is that recognition, right? Is the recognition of what's on paper. So on paper, we have a very progressive constitution, one of the few constitutions which recognizes socioeconomic rights. Um, and it's hailed, as you say, all around the world. And so, and, and it's a transformative constitution. It was, it was a constitution that recognized where we came from and tried to give us a tool that we as society could use to get to where we want to. So an ideal of the society that we want. Are we at that ideal yet? using this constitution? No. Do I think that that means that our constitution has failed us? Not necessarily. The constitution remains a tool, a social contract, uh, which, which, which we as society have to use as a tool to hold government accountable, um, a, a tool, for example, with the right to basic education. Because of Section 29, because of that right, which is immediately realizable, we as civil society, communities are able to take government to court when, when rights are not realized, are able to use the, the rights, not just in courts, because our constitution is not just for the courtrooms. They're able to use it in their demands and their advocacy. I do recognize, however, in getting to, to this road, this ideal, this transformative dream that, that we hoped our constitution would get us to, that access to justice remains a major issue in South Africa. Access to, to this piece of paper, this, this dream that we have remains 
a problem. And implementation remains a serious concern. So it's concerning when, for example, civil society or, or any person on the streets goes to courts, gets court orders, and, 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 the, and the state doesn't implement those court orders. That weakens our constitution. So I don't think the, con- the problem lies with, with our ideal, with our dream, with our social contract. It lies with access, it drives with implementation, and those are the things um, we need to work at as a society. Um, yeah, so that's just my thoughts, really. Thanks very much, Seho. Um, and Songeza, you will certainly let me know if we do have a caller. We so do, we maybe. do. We have okay. Mastermind in Bumalanga who wants to ask a question on education. Mastermind, good evening. Welcome to The Viewpoint. Justice O'Regan as well as Tsejo Pala are listening. Uh, thank you very much uh, for coming. Uh, good evening um, uh, to the judge and, and his guest today, Tsejo Pala. Um, my question to the judge is that uh, most of the time I see when uh, 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 the people who have graduated here in our country, when they're going outside, for an example, uh, uh, in USA, you found out that the uh, 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 education that they have, their calcul- uh, curriculum, it means in, uh, uh, meaningless to, to such a, a country in the USA or UK because maybe I don't understand what the, the matter because here maybe our education syllabus in curriculum is not in the standard that we can. Uh, 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 being actually with the international standards, because when they come from South Africa to America, you find out that uh, 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 they must go back again to train even a doctor or a lawyer, something like that. So I want to just maybe a judge can confirm me about ways is the wrong or is something what must be happening always just when you're coming from other countries. Uh, uh, thank you very much, sir. Jo- <clears throat> Judge, you got that, did you? I did, yes. Very well. Seho, just to confirm, you also heard the caller? Yes, I did. Indeed. Thank you. Judge? Well, I'm, I'd be happy to speak about that briefly, and then maybe Seho might say something. I think what it is important to realize that in a lot of fields that we study, the the um we all need we all across the world are studying the same things this is particularly so for example in mathematics in information technology in the sciences and so it's very important that as south africans that we have a a a world-class education that we we are as good as anybody else whether they're coming from china whether they're coming from the united states whether they're coming from brazil that we should be as good as them in in um in what we study in relation to law and medicine that you spoke about, of course, there are there are also um, protections that are in place that the profession puts up. We put them up in South Africa. In fact, there's there's currently a case pending before the courts in South Africa about whether people who are lawfully entitled to live in South Africa, or perhaps whether people who are not South Africans, foreigners who have trained elsewhere, should be entitled to be admitted as lawyers. Um, and so these questions arrive in, in, in many jurisdictions. So sometimes the barriers are not so much the quality of our training as whether you whether that country permits foreigners to practice. Um, but the, the, there's no doubt in my view that we, we should be aspiring in, in, a, in a world which is highly competitive to be training our learners and our university students to be as good as anybody in the world. And we, we can do that. It's just a case of us making sure that we do do that. Seho, any thoughts on this? Seho, your thoughts on the question? Um, Sungiz, I sadly didn't hear Judge's response, um, but I suppose I just wanted to say, you know, the caller's question was really about higher education. And in relation to higher education, it obviously depends on, on the university and whether they, you know, they rate their ratings and rankings. But many of our professionals and people who graduate from our universities are able to go into internationally and study their masters, etc. But I, what I did want is to, to highlight in respect of, of basic education in South Africa is that the sad reality is in respect of our maths and our numeracy and literacy um, stats and statistics in South Africa, we do fare quite low and we do fare quite badly. And this really 
really is an issue which is linked to, to quality outcomes in South Africa and linked to the need to, to improve our schools and to remove, dismantle the legacy of apartheid, where we are sure and certain, to the point where we're certain that all schools in South Africa are getting a quality education. And so there really is much work to be done around our curriculum and around our maths and numeracy um, levels. Well, thanks to Seho for that. And then just to tell um, listeners, we're about to take a break on the news. And in the meantime, Selo, we know you're on the line from Kokstad. We'll be back to you as soon as the news is over. So just hold hold on until we're through the news. Thanks, thanks again to Seho. Thanks, Sangeza, for being such a good court interpreter. <laughs> I had aspirations that were not quite that way, but certainly I'll take anything <laughs> that comes as a compliment from my dear, wonderful judge. Madam Justice Kate O'Regan, the guest and the host of the Hashtag Tuesday Takeover here on SAFM. Tsekhofatso Pal, Executive Director, Equal Education Law Center in Cape Town. The two of them are having a conversation predicated on the Constitution with a particular focus on Section 29, which is the section that deals and confers rights as they pertain to education. Of course, you do know that no one right is a standalone right. It almost needs others to help support it. When you talk about nutrition, you're talking about social security. Security section 27. So it's going to get heavy still. Of course, it's going to be abbreviated. Talking about abbreviations, that's the end of me now. It is time for news. Please, everybody, participate after the news break. The Viewpoint on SAFM with Songhezomapeke. Monday to Thursday, 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. Judge? Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. Um, so we have three callers who we're going to ask to put their questions or make their comments, and then we'll go back to Seho for her responses. So first in is Selo from Kokstad. Selo? Hello? Yes, go ahead. Hello? Selo, Hello, we can Selo. hear you. Please go ahead. Yes, is that uh, Sandalo? Good evening, uh, Judge Regan. Can you hear me? Good evening. Yes, I can. I'm not sure that Selo can hear me. Can you hear me? Selo, I can hear you. The listeners can hear you. I will interpret to the extent that Judge O'Regan cannot hear you. Please go ahead. Please go ahead. Okay. Good evening, Judge O'Regan. Uh, I'm honored to speak to a judge. Uh, allow me to uh, pose you this question. Would you please educate us uh, how to go about to amend the Constitution of South Africa? Uh, the section I'm talking about is Section 25, Subsection 7 which marginalizes the first indigenous people. Now, I believe the Constitution is there to redress the wrongs of the past. But now the, the Constitution is the highest law in the country. Now, the question of lost most of their land, if not all. Now, we are marginalized because the land claim for land, uh, one can only reclaim land after 1930. So that plainly it marginalizes the Christian people. I'm a Greek with a fault under the Christian umbrella word. What does one do? Can one go straight to the constitutional court to challenge the constitution, that subsection? I will listen on the radio. Thank you very much, Judge Regan. Thank you, Selo. I heard that. Um, uh, um, Songhezo, shall we go to the next caller? Yes, who let's, I think let's judge. Let's judge. That's Vili in Clerkstorp. Yeah, my, my question is, what's your take on the complaint coming from the parents that uh, they are children in regard to Bill of Rights? They are children uh, 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 seem to be, be abusing their rights, seem, seem, seem to be disrespectful uh, yeah, uh, 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 in regard to uh, I'm saying that they've got rights to do as they please. So parents say you don't have power uh, and nowadays because of that bill of rights. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vili. In uh, Claire's stop, let's go to Aisha in Uppington. Good evening, uh, Sangezo. Good evening to your guests. To the judge, South Africa belongs to the Koi and the San. It is ridiculous that, that they put in the Constitution, South Africa belongs to all who lives in it. Those people that negotiated that had no right to. That's one. Two, access to 
to access to justice. If all of you were so clever, why can normal South Africans not access justice in all matters? Thirdly, education in South Africa is a joke. It's a glorified nanny system. Our children cannot read for meaning. Lastly, uh, um, what was the other point? Oh, justice and the Constitution, please. They get court rulings and the state does not follow the ruling. So where is the justice? Thank you. Very well. Take over, please, Judge. Yes, well, thanks, Angeza. Those are three very interesting questions. Starting off with Selo's question, which was about how do we amend the Constitution? Selo talks about Section 25.7 of the Constitution, which is a provision in the property clause, which provides that the um, a person who was dispossessed of property after 19 June 1913 because of racially discriminatory laws should be entitled in terms of legislation to um, to restitution of that property. Putting that into simple English, 19 J- June 1913 was the day that the infamous Land Act came into force, which divided South Africa up. of the land for white South Africans and 13% of the land for black South Africans. And under that law, many black South Africans were dispossessed. Sello's concern is that, of course, the process of dispossession had started before 1913. The process of dispossession started really with the process of colonization in 1652, and it continued all the way through the 19th century. And he is asking, well, should we not amend the Constitution to make it clear that people who were dispossessed before 1913 can uh, have have their land restored? Now, the first answer to that is amending the Constitution is something that has to happen through Parliament. The Constitutional Court is not able to amend the Constitution. The um, Constitution requires that Parliament adopts amendments and amendments have to be by a special majority. In other words, more than 50%, in fact, two thirds of the members of parliament have to vote in favor of an amendment. So you can't go to court to change the constitution. It has to be changed through parliament. We know that there have been some attempts to change the property clause over the last while, but for the moment a two thirds majority has not been achieved to do that. Of course, the The question of um, pre-1913 dispossession could be dealt with in other ways. It's not necessary that the constitution be amended in this regard. Legislation could be uh, adopted. But the one thing I would want to say about that is that it can be very difficult. The further back you go to deal with dispossession, the harder it is. Because as you know, every single person, well, many people have children, and then their children have children, and then their children's children have children. And before you know it, there may be a thousand people claiming a piece of land. So that does make it more difficult. And it would need to be very carefully managed uh, by the legislature. The second question um, from Villian Clarkstop, I struggle to hear, Songez. I'm not sure if you if you made a note of it. Yes, certainly. Um, it's essentially about how the Bill of Rights has had the effect of spoiling the kids. And I think I'm just reminded of the judgment uh, penned by former CJ Mukweng about how child chastisement, even in the home, for instance, is now no longer constitutional. So perhaps you might want to respond to, I think, tie it up with Makwanyana, that corporal punishment in schools is no longer there and that children at home still can't get a jolly good whack from mom or dad. Yes, that's absolutely, that is right. And it started off uh, way back in 1995, I think, when uh, former Chief Justice Pius Langer gave the decision on corporal punishment in schools, a case called S versus Williams. And it has continued in relation to corporal punishment in the home. Of course, it's another question whether this has spoiled children or not. And we really, we may, we may have a big debate about that. Um, the real question is whether it, children need to be um, need to be chastised in order for them to turn out well. And I think the fear is, and we know that this is a problem, is that children can be abused both in schools and in the homes. And it's the constitution turns its face against that and says that we may not, uh, people are entitled to their, uh, to the integrity of their person. That means 
to their to to be protected from being assaulted and we need to be very careful about that i remember judge langa felt very strongly talking to him about the the williams case felt very strongly that it was important that the state uh, stood up firmly against forms of interpersonal violence and we do know it's a problem in south african society we have high levels of interpersonal violence and it's an interesting question whether how the chastisement the the beating of children um can fit into that picture um thirdly going to aisha's many questions um i think we've discussed already aisha you're quite right that issues around access to justice are remain a real concern in south africa challenging to be dealt with because of the cost but nevertheless important to be dealt with and also issues around education as we've heard from seho uh, are a very important um matter and which we have not we have not solved and there's much to be done there both of those things i think are things the constitution would want to be done but haven't been done yet um so uh, i think that covers those i'm not sure if seho would like to comment on any of the questions would you like to give her the opportunity songezo certainly she's yeah and listening seho go for it Thanks, thanks, Judge and Singers. I pity I couldn't hear judges' answers, um, but um, I guess I'd like to. I guess I could answer on three topics that mm-hmm. I that I picked up here. And the first one is really about children and, and corporal punishment meted um, against children. And, and I wanted to follow to center around children's rights. And what we often forget as adults is that we forget that children are also rights holders. And so it's not just that adults are rights holders. And so parents are there in order to support their children's rights. It's not their rights which are which are at issue. And and children really have evolving capacities. And and our our Children's Act recognizes that, and international law recognizes that. And so I just wanted to just put that out there and and, and emphasize that. Around the issue of access to justice, and and the caller who who called about access to justice, I think as as Judge and I have have stated, access to justice really does remain one of the biggest impediments to the realization of of our constitution and of rights. And and sadly, of course, in South Africa, we have a situation where free legal aid is only available to citizens for criminal law matters, and so citizens can't get free legal aid for electoral cases or constitutional cases. But they has been civil society has there are many civil society organizations in South Africa public interest litigation organizations who through the legacy of apartheid and through through um you know sort of culture that grew in apartheid who have stood up and and who who have really litigated a lot of our rights in 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 our bill of rights have really stood up for citizens and who have created access to justice for citizens but i do acknowledge that there is a need for the state to start thinking around how do they expand access to justice further you know beyond just criminal law because the reality is the many civil society organizations who do this work cannot do all of it and, and only have limited resources and limited um capacity even around the right to education yes i suppose one could say 25 years later that many learners in rural schools in south africa in previous years still disadvantaged areas in south africa have been let down they have been let down if pedophiles which are are illegal plain pedophiles remain in in thousands of schools in limpopo and in the eastern cape and so i acknowledge that there there is a lot of work to be done there the best phenomenal organizations such as the equal education law center equal education who are doing a lot of work around that and and who are trying to push for for example norms and standards around education and so i think the fight must continue the fight must continue to make section 29 real um to hold government to account and to start thinking about novel ways to ensure that our constitution doesn't just become a paper promise um and i don't think we should give up on it Well Seho that seems like a wonderful place to stop. We should not give up on our constitution. Its promise is something that we can bring about if we work hard. And I'd like to thank you so much. I'm sorry that you haven't been able to hear me. I'd like to thank you so much for joining me this evening to talk about the constitution at 25 and to thank Songezo for giving us both the opportunity. It's been a great privilege to be able to talk to you this evening. Wish you all well. and remember hold the constitution close before you sign off judge uh Tseho, judge just expressed her appreciation and that you ended it off on a good note that we certainly should not give mm-hmm. up 
on the constitution and the promise it holds for so many of our people. And I think implicit in that is the collective societal responsibility that we have, these are now my words, in engaging this conversation over just continuously, perhaps which has become an unfortunate trend at all times outsourcing that societal responsibility of ensuring the promise of the constitution is just a government function we all are stakeholders in that judge in relation to you thank you so much for your time as i say goodbye to miss pilar thank you so much especially for agreeing to do this tell us one last thing in 20 seconds if less bonaro institute of human rights university of oxford and south africans opportunities there well i think that one of the things I, I, I learned because I work with students from all over the world is that the challenge of building fair societies, robust constitutional democracies is one that is shared by nations all over. And we make the difference if we work for it. And it's not, it's, it's a challenging at times, it's depressing, um, but it is something that we should not give up on. And I think that is uh, shared all over the world. Sometimes as South Africans, we forget that there are many nations in with many similar problems to mm. ours, some even more acute. And what we should just not do is not give up and become cynical. Fantastic. I can't take it further, although I would want to because of time. Judge, thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful evening in the UK. Thanks, Angeza. You too. Good night. Good night, Tejo, as well. Good night, Judge. Good night, Tejo. Let's take a short ad break before we talk to the African narrative. For unskippable, no click baiting, and cookie free, with lots of real followers and likes, place your sales campaign on SAFM. Radio is still the best place to advertise your business at affordable rates. SAFM, with its national footprint and top personalities, offer advertisers distinctive opportunities to reach their target audience. Email sales at safm.co.za. SAFM, the influencer you can trust.